We are in week three of our sermon series called The Domino Effect. And for the past couple of weeks, we've been examining how small acts of faithfulness can have a domino effect. In other words, if you build one faithful decision after another faithful decision and so on, God will exponentially grow your spiritual life. In our study of the book of Colossians, we're also discovering that Christian maturity means a radical reordering of our life's priorities. We go from self-centeredness and pleasing ourselves to to desiring nothing more than pleasing God and also walking in obedience to him. And in order to do that, we have to understand the fullness of the gospel message. That is, Jesus gave his life for us not only to deliver us from the penalty of sin, which we call justification. That is just the first half of the gospel. Jesus also rose from the dead to empower us to have victory over the flesh and the world and the devil and to become more and more and more Christ-like throughout the rest of our Christian life. That is called sanctification. And that is the second half of the gospel. The key to spiritual maturity is consistency and perseverance in doing the small things that bring us closer to God regularly and repeatedly. These practices or spiritual disciplines, or what we call the six habits around here at Anderson Hills. But no matter how hard we work on these things, spiritual maturity or sanctification is only possible with God's power that sanctifies us through the Holy Spirit who is at work within us. When we surrender our lives, we allow God to use us like a domino, tipping into the lives of others. Throughout this series, we've been giving you little homework assignments each week to help you put into practice those things which we've been teaching. Last week, you were asked to keep track of when you acted in ways that reflected Christ at work in you and when you didn't. How'd that go for you? I'll tell you how it went for me. I prayed most mornings the prayer that we were asked to pray that's printed in the printed copy of our Bible reading plan. Jesus, show me how I'm reflecting you today and show me when I'm not. And then in the evening, I would reflect back on my day. And what I found was that throughout my day, Jesus really showed up. He usually came into my mind, stopped me in my tracks right as words were getting ready to come out of my mouth or right before a thought went through my brain. And that way, it it enabled me to quickly repent when I wasn't reflecting Christ, when the words weren't going to be very Christ-like or that thought didn't reflect Christ. And it also helped me celebrate when I did reflect him. I was reminded of an experience that John Wesley had that I'd read about in a devotional study some years ago. The book was called Devotional Life in the Wesleyan Tradition. I mean, Wesley had ups and downs in his life just like we do. His devotional life wasn't perfect, just like ours. 
isn't perfect. And he made his share of mistakes as he went along. One of the most notable mistakes that he made that he wrote about happened in 1732. Wesley's devotions took a turn toward extreme self-examination. He became preoccupied with taking his spiritual pulse. And so at the back of his devotional diary, he devised a system by which he could evaluate his progress, or really more accurately, his lack of progress. And he did this by measuring his spiritual vitality against a set of predetermined questions, like, have I had a thought or spoken unkindly to someone else today? And for every time that Wesley failed to live up to one of these questions, he put a dot on the chart in the back of his devotional book. We're not called Methodists for nothing, my friend. <laughs> He's got a method for everything. And so at the end of the week, what he would do is he'd total up all these dots for each question to see how he did. And what his system did, it caused him to focus on his faults. You see, Wesley was practicing defeatist devotionalism. Now, of course, we should not ignore the negative areas of our life. God wants us to pay attention to that so he can heal us and restore us. And we have to take sin and failure seriously. But Wesley's example reminds us that we find positive spiritual formation not by amplifying our problems, but by appropriating God's grace. Wesley only used this system for a little more than a year, and then he abandoned his failure chart, recognizing it for the problem that it was. In our own spiritual formation, we also have to find a devotional style that accentuates healing grace. But it can be so hard to do. Jesus secured our salvation through his death and resurrection. He defeated every spiritual authority, and he gives us new life when we choose to follow him. We're no longer bound to the authorities and to the rules that once imprisoned us. We've died to them in Jesus. But we sometimes find ourselves submitting to the rules of the world. And Paul cautioned the Colossians against this. I'm picking up today's scripture in Colossians 2, beginning in verse 16. Paul writes, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person only goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, 
Why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Paul told the Colossians not to let anyone criticize them for not observing certain religious ceremonies or adhering to religious diets. Because you see, the Jews who had converted to Christianity in cities like Colossae after Paul visited them often still clung to their Jewish forms of worship. They kept keeping kosher, eating only the foods that were allowed by the law of Moses. They continued to celebrate the annual, the monthly, the weekly religious activities of their Jewish heritage. But Gentile converts to Christianity, they had no Jewish background to hang on to. But the Jewish converts tried to convince them to adopt not only their new faith in Christ Jesus, but all of the religious Jewish laws and religious practices as well. But Paul writes that all the Old Testament laws, the holidays, the feasts, they all just pointed to Christ. And Paul calls them just a shadow of the things that were to come. And now the reality has come. And that reality is Christ Jesus. There will always be someone who comes along and tries to add something extra to the simplicity of the gospel. But my friends, the gospel is not about adding extra external requirements. I mean, we get stuck in the external requirements of religion so many times. But we are not stuck in religion anymore. We are in Christ. Paul says, don't let anybody pull you back into the festivals, the new moons, those external things. The gospel is not about those things. The gospel is about our interior being made new by Jesus Christ. And then our internal transformation works its way out into the external ways of living our life. We don't have to work hard to change the external things in our life in order to change us internally. Christ has already done that. Scripture says, in Christ you are a new creation. When Christ changes us on the inside, it begins to change us on the outside. Now, the external things we say and do are attitudes, the the words that we speak, the way we handle our relationships, our finances, the way we live, these things do reflect our new reality in Christ. But they do not affect the new reality we have in Christ. Let me say that again. These external things we do, they reflect our new reality in Christ. 
but they do not affect our new reality in Christ because it's by faith, by faith, everything internally, everything is changed by Christ. We want our new internal reality to change our outside, to change our values, to change the way we treat people, to change our reasons and our motivations for doing what we do. We want the changes in our external actions to be a reflection of what Christ has done for us internally. We don't have to work hard. We don't have to do more because we are living in the already done of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, it is finished. Our guilt, our shame, our need to earn our salvation, none of that exists anymore because of what Jesus has done once and for all. Are you still working hard to do? Or are you living in the already done of Jesus our Lord. There were two boys, they lived on the same street in the suburbs, just a few doors down from each other. One of the fathers told his son to go out and mow the lawn, and the other father told his son to do the same thing. And both sons went outside and they got started. Both of them wanted to do their best. The first boy's father was critical. He would say things like, you missed a spot over there. What took you so long? You could have done better. Never gave his son any praise. He never showed him any love, never gave him any hugs. His attitude was just go do what I tell you to do. It probably won't be good enough, but try your hardest. Just down the block, the other boy was mowing the lawn like nobody's business. I mean, he was mowing it like it was the most important job in the world, like he was mowing the lawn of the White House. I mean, he was into it. He was proud. He was cutting the grass with joy. He was doing it because of the relationship he had with his dad. His dad always told him how much he loved him. He usually would say, hey, son, you're my favorite. But he also says that to his other sons and his daughters because it was true. They were all his favorite. He let his boy know that he loved him simply because he was his son, not for anything he could do for him. One son worked hard so that one day he might earn his father's love. The other son worked hard because he knew he already had his father's love. My friends, in Christ, our salvation is sealed. We don't have to work to earn his approval. We also don't serve human or any other authority any longer. We submit to Jesus only, which is why Paul urges the Colossian church not to follow the world's empty rules any longer. But our internal transformation does influence our external actions. We should still pursue holiness. What's different is our attitude. What's different is our motivation. What's different is where we put our focus. Let's go on to chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. 
when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We see from these verses that when we put our faith in Christ, when we die with him in our baptism and rise again with him, that everything in our life changes. Our priorities change. What's important to us changes. How we live life changes. Paul takes us directly into the throne room of heaven and allows us to catch a glimpse of glory. He tells us to set our hearts on things above. In other words, to make heaven's priorities our priorities too and he also tells us to set our minds on things above things that are eternal and not just the temporary things of earth we are now hidden in christ jesus we are in him and he is in us and the spirit of jesus is at work in us changing and sanctifying everything about us You see, everything no longer orbits around me, but instead I orbit around Jesus Christ and everything that is important to him. I was really struck by what J.D. Walt wrote in our companion book that goes along with this sermon series called The Domino Effect about these very verses. He said that the idea of setting our hearts on things above and our minds on things above where Christ is seems a bit more comprehensive and all-encompassing than just a few minutes of devotions every morning. Don't you think? He said he thinks maybe athletes understand this more than the average person because athletes have a pre-game routine they stick to with religious fervor. It is completely embodied with physical and mental and spiritual and and social elements. They think about their next game, their next performance, their next meet 24-7 and thinking futuristically about what it will take for them to do their best, what they eat, what time they go to bed, when they get up, how they work out, and their pregame rituals. J.D. Walt writes, maybe it's time We took a break from our morning devotions and came up with something more like a pregame warm-up or a pre-day ritual. It's about resetting our hearts and minds. What if we thought about our day as the game and our schedule as the field of our faith? What would it mean to peer through the lens of our calendar at the ascended Lord Jesus Christ? It's a daily way of living, and it will mean putting off some old ways and putting on some new ways, the ways of Christ. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self 
which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Paul wants us to put to death all earthly, all fleshly, all negative evil ways of living that were a part of our old nature before Christ. Again, we died with Christ, and when we did that, we died to the world. And so we should consider ourselves dead and unresponsive to the ways of the world. Just like diseased limbs of a tree, behaviors like these have to be cut off and pruned before they destroy us. It means making a daily decision to remove anything that supports or feeds these desires. And there's no way, no way we can do it alone. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit's power to do it. And we also need to rely on the company of other committed Christians who can walk this journey of sanctification with us, the second half of the gospel with us. For the past year or so, we've been inviting you to consider joining a band. A band is a same-gendered group of three to five people with whom you meet weekly to share how it's going with your soul, to talk about your struggles and your successes, to reflect how God is speaking to you and growing you, and to confess your sins and receive forgiveness. Now, bands have been around since the very beginning of the Methodist movement, although they did go out of style, out of fashion during the last century. But we are recovering some of the vital vitality and the, and the Holy Spirit power of our movement. And they are changing people's lives today just like they have from the start. I'm going to share with you this morning a couple of testimonies from band members right here at Anderson Hills. One person shared, during my band meeting, I was sharing how it was with my soul and my struggles and my successes I shared my difficulties that I was having with my spouse and my kids, and after my time was over, another band member admonished me and said, I hear a spirit of resentment. We're going to pray against that negative spirit, and here's the outcome. It made me step back and look at what I was angry about. And I realized that I had unforgiveness and unresolved anger and frustration and that I had to let those things go, and I did. And there was healing. Another person shared this. I reluctantly joined a band. My first thought was, I'm going to give this a shot, and if it doesn't work out, I'm just going to stop going. Over two years later, I have to say, she writes, that being part of a band has been one of the best personal spiritual growth opportunities I've ever had. Meeting weekly with the people in my band, I learned to let down the walls that I'd so carefully built up to guard against others. As the members shared from their hearts, and we grew to know and appreciate one another, I began to open up and allow the others to truly, truly know me. And once that happened, I began to feel differently transformed by the power of God's love spoken through the band members. The more transparent I became, became, the more I was drawn to the amazing presence of the Holy Spirit 
in my life. I have learned a lot from my band members and grown deeper in my walk with Christ. One of the times we gathered, two of the people shared about conflict with their extended family members. And I recall driving home that day and feeling a deep conviction that I was like those challenging family members in my attitude and thoughts toward my own extended family. Until then, it had never occurred to me that my attitude and thoughts were a sin that I was holding on to. My mindset was unhealthy and created a distance in loving my own family. So the following week, I confessed the sin to my band. And it was incredibly freeing and it released this heaviness inside me that I'd been carrying around for far too long. I'm incredibly thankful for my band and for the spiritual growth journey that I am now experiencing. Using the metaphor that Paul uses, it's like taking off our old dirty clothes so that we get cleaned up, so that we can put on new clean clothes. Just this past week, a nurse that I know who's currently working with COVID patients in a hospital and who has to wear a lot of protective gear told me this story. She says, when I come home every day, the first thing I do is go into the laundry room and I take off that clothing. It goes right in the washer so it can get cleaned up. And then I take a hot shower and only then does she put on fresh, clean clothing. Therefore, as God's chosen people Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I love these verses. Because of what Christ has done, we are God's chosen people. We are holy and dearly loved. Christ's power changed who we were. And it is also his power that is changing us into the people we are becoming. Taking off our old garments and putting on our new ones is a daily attitude. It's a daily process. I not only get physically dressed each morning with the clothes that I take out of my closet and my dresser, but I get spiritually dressed every morning too. It is a continual remembrance calling me to remember the me that Christ Jesus is transforming me into becoming. And it is his very image. I am to be clothed in the same garments that Christ wears. And that brings us back to the idea of community and doing life together in bands. And it all points us back to the glory of Christ. So let these beautiful words from Scripture close us today. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach 
and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Would you pray with me? Holy God, we give you thanks and praise for your word, which reminds us that in Jesus Christ we are a new creation. That is done. It is finished. That is who we are when we confess our faith in Christ. And we thank you for an ongoing journey, a lifelong journey of sanctification that is also you at work within us in the power of your spirit, transforming us from the people we used to be into the people that you see us as in your mind's eye. Lord, help us to encourage each other, to admonish each other, to do life together so that we can become the people you call us to be. Lord Jesus, we want to be a perfect reflection of your son, Jesus Christ, so that the world sees Christ in us and is drawn to you. May it be so. We pray in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.